Good morning. How y'all doing today? Amen. We want to open up by saying welcome to all of you, especially if you're in, uh, in the room with us today for the first time or if you're joining us online for the first time. Welcome. We're so glad you guys are here to worship with us this morning. I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our journey through the letter of 1 John. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 today. And specifically, we're going to be looking at John's brief and poetic description of the spiritual stages of life. You know, I don't know about you, but many of us had different, different family traditions growing up to track our growth, you know. Some of us, it was maybe a grandma's house on the doorpost of the pantry where we would stand up against it and they would mark the height and the year and the age, right, as we grew up. For some of us, it was just, you know, copious amounts of pictures and photographs and things of that nature. Uh, My grandma, specifically, she was a quilt maker, a really talented quilt maker. And so still to this day, we have this giant quilt she made with me and my brother. And it had our first grade picture and our second grade picture. all the way up through senior year and our prom pictures and it's framed and my mom loves it. And uh, that's how my grandpa uh, or grandma kept track of all that, you know. And then of course in the age of social media, you know, I used to see, maybe not so much anymore, but on Facebook people used to have their photo albums and they would, I would see uh, young people have their photo albums by, by grade, right? My ninth grade photo album, ninth grade summer, 10th grade photo album, 10th grade summer, right? And they would just kind of keep track of the stages of life. And, you know, of course, when we look back on these types of things, these marks, these pictures, they just serve as reminders that we were all once infants. We were all once little babies, but that we've grown and we've gone through these different stages of life. Well, In the spiritual realm, in our spiritual lives, there are also marks, reminders, things that we could see and look back on that we have gone through the different stages of our spiritual growth. And it's important to be able to identify these marks because biblically, spiritual growth is expected. (laughs) It's expected in our spiritual lives that we grow. It should be the norm for every single believer. And so today, this morning, uh, in verses 12 through 14, John gives us a, like I said, a poetic rendition of these spiritual stages of growth. He speaks to children, then he speaks to what he says are the young men and the fathers. Now, even though those terms young men and fathers are kind of gender specific, they're terms and phrases that aren't meant to be gender limited, okay? So he's not just talking to young men and dads today, okay? These phrases were common terms of the day to refer to groups of people. And so these spiritual stages of life that he's looking at today, he's talking about kids, he's talking to adolescents, and he's talking to those that are fully spiritually mature adults. Now when I say the word adolescent, you might think, well that's just teenagers. In biblical times, adolescence often went all the way up into your 30s. And so, you know, that's why he uses this term young men to refer to this group of people. And so these verses, written in poetic form, and I say that because if you have a Bible, you'll notice that it's kind of formatted differently. It's like breaks out of the sentence structure. They'll often do that when there's a poetic phrasing in the original language. But he writes this um, stating ideas and then building on those ideas and repeating some ideas for emphasis. And so he starts with verse 12, which serves as a umbrella term to encompass all of the stages of our spiritual life, 
all of the stages of our spiritual growth. And then in verses 13 and 14, he'll get into dealing with those groups individually, the groups themselves. And he's gonna be talking about spiritual infancy, spiritual adolescence, and full spiritual adulthood. But first, we wanna start our day, start this morning by focusing our minds and our hearts and, and, and everything in us towards him, towards God Almighty, towards the one who has saved us, the one who has loved us, the one who caused us to literally be born again as we put our faith in him for our salvation, the one who adopted us into his family and then has been the ultimate father for us as he has nurtured us and parented us and, and led us so that we would grow into the people he's created us to be. And so we wanna spend some time worshiping him and praising him as we get ready to hear what he has to encourage, uh, encourage us with today. So let's pray and then let's worship. Father, we thank you, God, for today, and we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together as, as your body, Lord, your family. God, we are your kids. We are your little children. And yet, Lord, some of us have been walking with you uh, for a very, very long time. Some of us with you or have been walking with you for, for, you know, not so long, but not so short. And some of us, God, in this room today are watching online are brand new baby Christians, spiritual infants, if that will. And Lord, none of that has any direct tie to our physical chronological age, Lord. And so I pray today, God, that, that you would speak to us and encourage us in these things, Lord, that we would be able to identify where we are in our lives, in our spiritual walk, to be able to, to look at those marks, to appreciate the work that you've done and, and where you've taken us as we've grown and matured in our faith. But God, first, we just wanna praise your name. God, you are God Almighty. You are holy, you are righteous, you are just, you are light, you are love. And God, we love you. And we wanna express this love to you right now as we worship your holy name, God. And just saying thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 this morning. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny, we're talking about stages of life, right? Um, I'm at the stage of life where I just had to get trifocals, and um, I, I'm embracing that, you know, as much as I can, um, because, you know, it's, 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 it's weird. But I share that to say, if you see my head doing weird things today as I'm looking down at my notes, I'm still getting used to this new dynamic of life. And so, um, be patient with me there, but... Um, you know, John, he just, he has this wonderful poetic way that he addresses stages of spiritual life with us. And so let's read in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Just a beautiful passage that just highlights three major stages of spiritual growth. And as I mentioned earlier in verse 12 there, he opens up with an umbrella statement that I believe um, covers the entire scope of, of being a Christian. You know, John opens up there and says, I am writing to you little children. 
And you might go, well, you know, in verse 14, he says children again. So is, is, it, a, is it a phase? Is it the spiritual infancy? Well, the two words he uses there, little children in verse uh, 12 and, and children in verse 13, those are two different Greek words altogether. And so I'll deal with um, our verse 14 when I get there. But this word here in verse 12 is technia. And it's a term that, that John uses a lot simply to refer to um, people that he cares about. The term literally means born ones, born ones, as he says, little children. And as he uses this term, it's a term that he uses often. It's a term of tenderness. It's a term of care and concern that he uses for all of God's children, that he uses for um, anybody uh, in the family of God. And, and at John's age of writing this, um, pretty much everybody was a little child compared to him at this point. And uh, he was just such a, um, a man of care and concern for God's people. And so we see this term that he uses a lot, little children. And he, so he's not referring to just the stage. He's referring to all of God's kids, those that he's had the opportunity to parent in the faith. And so he says this, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. This is an umbrella statement, I believe, because what he says here is true of every single believer, right? Every single believer, it's true that our sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Whether you're a spiritual infant, whether you're a spiritual adolescent, whether you're a mature spiritual adult in the Lord, regardless of how mature you are, regardless of how immature you are, every saved believer is a child of God. Every Christian is a part of God's family. We are all a part of his family. This cannot and will not change. We may have seasons in our own rebellious nature where we're like, I don't want to be in the family anymore, but you still are. Right? You have the story of the prodigal son, right? Give me my inheritance. I'm done. I'm out of here. But he was still a son of the father the entire time, no matter where he is at or what he was doing. And so we will always be God's children. And we know that we're all part of his family because it, it shows us here the common bond that draws us all together. The common bond that draws us together to be the family of God, to be children of God, is the fact that our sins have been forgiven. That's the common bond. This is where it begins for all of us. This is where we become a part of the family of God when we come to that moment of our sins being forgiven. I remember in my life when I was 21 years old, sitting in my bedroom, clutching this old New American Standard Bible that had been given to me when I was eight years old at a local Methodist church at an Easter celebration, and it had my name in it. At 21 years old, just clutching this Bible, saying, God, if you're real, then I'm just going to open this book to a random page, and you're going to talk to me about my life. And I did that. And whatever I read, I wish I remember the exact thing. I don't, but man, it was so specific, it scared me. And I threw that book across the room. I was like, no way. There is no God. This can't happen. By the next day, I had convinced myself that it was possible in a book with, you know, 4,000 or so pages that I could randomly turn to a page and it would talk about me specifically. So I picked it up and did it again. God, if you're real... I'm going to open up to a random page of this book, and you're going to talk to me about my life today. Not the same thing as yesterday. Aha, if there was a God, I found the loophole, and I was going to catch him, right? Same thing happened. I'm sorry. I keep hitting this clip on the back of my thing here. All right, hopefully that fixes it. 
Um, I did that for five nights in a row. By the fifth night, it was, God, if you're real, I know you are, but, but, but if you're real, I'm gonna open up this book to a random page, and you're gonna do what you've already done for four previous nights consecutively. <sighs> open. Yeah, he did it again. And it was there in my bedroom. And I said, God, you're real. I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I may not understand everything in this book, but I believe it's your word. So teach me to live for you. Now, I may have been a young adult physically. I may have been 21 years old physically, but in that moment, I was a brand new, brand new, newborn baby child of God. And that was the beginning for me. You know, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. See, the moment you give your life to the Lord, you are born again. That's the biblical phrase. You were born again, and you are at that moment. It doesn't matter if it happens when you're 10 or 20 or 50 or 80. You're a brand new baby Christian at that point. Now, before we move on to the stages of spiritual growth, I just want to make sure we notice something very important here in verse 12. Notice why our sins were forgiven. He says, on account of his name. That's a very important phrase. Our sins are not forgiven because we deserve it. Our sins aren't forgiven because, well, we're nice people. Our sins aren't forgiven for anything based upon us. The reason God forgave our sins, the reason God forgave your sin, the reason he forgave my sin is because he wanted to display his own character of love and grace and mercy. He wanted to, 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 to bring light to and honor to the fact that he is who he says he is. He forgave our sins because it brought light to the fact that he is love and he is light and he is just and he is righteous. When God forgave your sins, when God forgave my sins, it brought honor to his name. And when we stand up as forgiven, grace-filled sinners, the idea is that other people that don't know him would look at our lives and go, wow, that person must follow a gracious God. That person must follow a God who is loving and forgiving. God forgave us not because we deserved it or demanded it. God forgave us because that's who he is. He is forgiving. He is loving. And he couldn't do anything other than, than, than what his nature is to do. If he didn't forgive us, it would go contrary to his nature because he is a forgiving God. If he didn't send his son to the cross to die for our sins and then just let us go, that would run contrary to his nature because he is a just God and a righteous God. But he saved us and he forgave us on account of his name. And this is a common theme we see in scripture, that God will do things on account of who he is despite the people that he's doing it for. This is the reason God worked on behalf of the children of Israel. 
This is the reason God sent prophets over and over to warn Israel that judgment's gonna come if you guys continue in disobedience. This is the reason God acted in his grace in both the Old and the New Testaments. Not because we deserved it, not because we were some great prize to be had, but because God wanted to honor his name. He wanted to be true to his character. We see this in Psalm chapter 106, verses seven and eight. It says, our ancestors in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wondrous works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet, he saved them for his name's sake to make his power known. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I am the one I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God forgave our sins because that's who he is. It is his nature. And when God does whatever he does in line with who he is, it glorifies his name. It brings honor to his name. This, incidentally, is a great way to pray. This is a great way to pray, not hey God, listen up, I deserve this. God, I read five whole chapters this week. Come on, Lord, I earned this. So here's my petition, here's my prayer, give it to me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray because if God gave us what we deserve, wow, that's, that's a scary proposition right there. But instead, this is a great way to pray, God, Save my family members on account of your name. God, heal this person on account of your name. God, I'm, I'm in a very difficult situation in my life, financially or this or that. God, I need a miracle. And so, God, I'm asking you to grant me a miracle on account of your name. That is a great way to pray because that mindset is it's always, God, whatever brings more glory to your name, let that be done, right? And this is how Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Here's what I want, <laughs> here's what I'm praying for, but nonetheless, your will. And so it's never, God, do this for me because I think I deserve it, because we don't. But God, do this because it's who you are. Do this to bring glory to your own name. And again, this follows in line with, with how Jesus taught us to pray, right? In Luke 11, most of us are familiar with the, with the prayer, and he said, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, we don't use the word hallowed too much here, except around Halloween time. So in the CSB, this is how it reads in Luke 11 too. Jesus said to them, whenever you pray, say this. Father, your name be honored as holy. That's what hallowed means. Your name, your reputation, who you are, let that be honored as holy. And then he said, your kingdom come. And then he goes on to say, then, you know, give us this day our daily bread and ask for the specifics. But you always start, God, on account of who you are on account of your holy name, 
on account of your nature and your reputation, God, I'm bringing my prayers to you, right? And so we should pray this way, and we should pray the way David prayed. This one, I found this. I, I probably read this before, but I never noticed it until today. But in Psalms 25:11, this is what David says. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. <laughs> Wow, King David, a man after God's own heart, but he was aware of his fallen nature, right? And so God, for the sake of your name, I'm asking you to forgive me because I'm a sinner. What a beautiful way to pray. So, we are all technia, we are all born ones, we're all forgiven on account of his name, regardless of where we are in our spiritual growth, that's the foundation, but after being born again, there is an expectation of growth, there's an expectation of growing up. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's an expectation. Same way when a baby is born, there's an expectation that that baby will grow. Not just physically, but, but, but emotionally and, and will mature. There's an expectation there. And then, so here today, here in our sanctuary and joining us online, there's, there's every single level of Christian represented here. Every single level of Christian possibly uh, that could be is represented here, and there's possibly some here that don't know the Lord at all and have not yet been born again. And it's this way just about every single time we gather together congregationally. You know, if you remember when Jesus was, was resurrected, he, he found Peter on the beach. Peter had kind of gone back to his old job, if you will, and, and Jesus meets him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I do. And he goes, well, then feed my sheep. And then he asked him again, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. And he's like, feed my lambs, right? It's interesting there, those, those, those words are referring to fully grown sheep and baby sheep, right? You know, some here are older sheep. You're used to the wool. You're used to the life. Some here are baby little lambs. You still got shaky legs and you don't know how to walk and you're struggling but you're a lamb, and it's important that if you're in any type of teaching ministry, if we have any teaching deacons or deaconesses here or elders or pastors or, or anybody that's sharing, you, you just understand that in a, in a congregational gathering, both are present. Both are present, and so sometimes you might be sitting there and, and you're a fully grown woolly sheep, right? You know, and, and, and there's teaching that takes place and you, and you might go, you know, this is lammy stuff. I've heard this before. You know, this is, this is milky stuff, you know. I need something deep and meaty. And then, and then right next to you, you know, two seats down or in the pew in front of you or behind you, there's a little lamb that's sitting there going, what is he talking about? I don't get this at all. It's over my head. You know, so the idea is just, just, just keep in mind that, that the meal, you know, and, and what we bring to feed on in the word of God, you know, sometimes it has milk. Sometimes it's cereal. Sometimes it, it's just meat or all of the above. But we need all of it. We need all of it. So when it comes to spiritual growth, there's a couple things that um, I think we should consider. One, as I said, spiritual growth should happen. You should be growing spiritually. You should go from a spiritual infant to a spiritual adolescent to a, to a full-grown, mature adult spiritual Christian, you know, and what I mean by this is, is when you look at the church and the operation of the church and the preaching and the teaching and all that takes place in the fellowship, you know, Christianity is not only evangelism. It's not only evangelism. It's not only getting people saved. 
because that would be like, oh, a newborn baby, and you bring it home. You're like, okay, cool, you're born. You set it on the porch, and you go in the house. No, then we got to bring the baby in the house, and we got to feed it and nurture it and help it to grow. And so evangelism is important, but it's not the only thing the church does. And so, you know, sometimes people, they, 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 they have a calling and a gifting and a focus, right? And uh, this was me in the past. You know, I'm thankful, like, today, I, I, I don't see this at Hosanna, but me in the past, I had this very singular evangelistic focus. And I had this attitude where I'm like, I want to preach the gospel, I want to lead people to Jesus, and after that, give them to someone else. Just, I don't have time for discipleship, I don't have time for teaching, I don't have time for that. It's important. I support it and encourage it, but, but, but just, I just want to focus on evangelism. And my attitude was, was off at that time. <laughs> because instead of going, this is key and this is critical, and wow, thank you, God, for my part of the process, I thought my part of the process was the most important part of the process. And so I had to learn, no, 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 they're all important parts of the process. They're all important parts. And so, you know, yeah, the church is a hospital, and yeah, it has a pediatric ward, right? We need that. We need a maternity ward. But, but there's also the general medicine department, and then there's the surgery department, and there's even the geriatrics department, right? There's all these departments, departments within the hospital that is the church because growth should happen. You know, in 3 John 4, uh, verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And the second thing with spiritual growth is that it's a process. It is a process. So don't confuse spiritual growth with spirituality. Right? You can be a spiritual infant and, and have spirituality in your life. Right? You should, if you're a spiritual infant, have spirituality in your life. But you could be an adolescent spiritually. You could have been walking with the Lord for some time and be carnal. And be carnal. You could reach a point in your spiritual maturity where you, you, you plateau and you stop or refuse to keep growing. So, so don't confuse spiritual growth with spirituality. Spiritual growth is a process, and so um, you, you grow as fast as you want to. You can grow as fast as you, 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 you put into that in that sense. God is the one who does the work, but 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have everything within you given by God to grow and mature as much and as fast as you want. Then in 2 Peter 1.5, he said, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those things there, those are those marks on that spiritual doorway that we're growing, that we're maturing. So let's get into the stages finally, okay? All right. Stage one, infancy. I'm gonna kind of go backwards, right? He starts with fathers and then goes to young men and then goes to the children. I'm gonna start with the children and work my way backwards with it. But in verse 14a, he says, I have written to you children because you have come to know the Father. As I mentioned earlier, this word for children is different than little children in verse 12. This is a Greek word that's paida or paidia, but it literally means a newborn infant. 
it means a, a young, brand newborn child. Now it's interesting, this word actually comes from a, a, a Greek word, the root of this word refers to someone who's uninstructed or ignorant. So the idea here is it's referring to those who just recently came into the faith. He says, I've written to you little infant Christians who have just come into the faith. And why is he writing to them? He goes, because you have come to know the Father. You know, in that first stage of spiritual development, the baby Christian might not know everything about Christianity. They might not know uh, a lot that there is to know theologically. They might not be real sound on their doctrine as they just barely got saved, but guess what? They know God. They know God. And just like a baby, they, 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 they recognize their parent, and he's trying to encourage them. It's like, look, baby Christians, just because you don't know everything, just because you're not theologically you know, on the top of the, the heap here, just because don't, don't get discouraged. Rest on this. You know God. You know, a little baby that's just born, and you bring him home, that little baby doesn't know everything about their parent. They don't know their names. They don't know how their parents met. You know, the baby can't articulate the heart of the mom and dad, right, and understand what they are. No. But when mom or dad walk in the room, that baby's eyes light up. Giggle, giggle. Why? Because he recognizes mommy and daddy. He recognizes the, the parents. And so it is with our spiritual lives. You know, when I was first saved, if someone asked me, Nathan, I, uh, can you explain to me the doctrine of repentance? I'd be like, sure, but first tell me what the word doctrine means and tell me what the word repentance means. <laughs> and then maybe we could have a discussion about these things because I don't know what you're talking about. But I knew I knew God. I knew I knew the Father. I knew I was saved. I might not have been able to explain everything, but I knew I knew him, and that meant everything. That was the foundation. So, so we got to understand, you know, new believers, maybe they haven't learned all the Christianese yet, all the Christian terms that, that as you grow and mature start to become a regular part of your vocabulary, and that's okay. It was three or four years into my salvation before I understood what the concept of blessed meant. I'm blessed. I'd be like, what does that mean? And people would try to explain it to me, and I'm like, I, I don't get, I just didn't get the concept until one day I was like, Oh, I'm blessed, right? It just clicked one day. And so, you know, one of the marks of, uh, uh, of an infant is they have this, this, this precious, uninstructed innocence, right? That's one of the marks we see of an infant. And, and, and in that uninstructed innocence, they're often regulated, um, governed by their affections and their emotions rather than their understanding, right? Babies, they don't understand a whole lot, Right? They haven't learned a whole lot. They, they, they simply exist. They're either up or down. They're either happy or sad, right? They're either, you know, um, uh, they're quick to get scared or quick to, 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 to be excited. But the concept is, is how that applies to spiritual babies is sometimes as a, as a brand newborn, brand new newborn Christian, you know, we, 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 we have these days where it's like, oh, I'm having a good day. Oh, that means God must be happy with me. But then you have a bad day, right? You had a bad day at work or you couldn't find the parking spot you wanted or whatever. And then you're like, oh, that means God must be mad at me. I must have offended God. You know, am I even still saved? 
and you have these ups and downs, these, these quick um, moves from, 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 from happy to sad, you know, and it's, it's this uninstructed innocence that makes new believers especially susceptible to false teachers, especially susceptible to false teaching because they're, they're largely still in a place as a brand new baby infant where it's about me. It's about my experience, it's about my feelings, it's about my interaction, you know, and that's another mark of an infant, incidentally, for those of you that have had kids, right? They cry for themselves only. Have you ever had a little newborn baby see you, like, you know, smash your thumb with a hammer and the baby starts crying for you? Oh, I'm so sad for you. No, that doesn't happen. Babies cry for themselves, right? I'm hungry. I need something. I need a change diaper. I need that. They, 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 they cry until they get the attention that they need. Now, in that process, parents, you don't get mad at them, right? You're like, they're, they're a brand new baby. Yeah, why are you crying? Why is it all about you? Th- no, we're just like, ah, they're precious, right? There's an innocence there. There's also an ignorance there. But parents, you just patiently meet their needs with expectations that one day they will grow up, one day they will mature, one day they'll learn and they'll get out of this, this, this self-focused stage where everything is, is about them. And, and spiritual infants can sometimes find themselves very self-focused, right? Everything in their spiritual walk in, in that brand new state is really about them. And, and maybe they're not being maliciously selfish about it, but, but it's about them. You know, I don't like the worship there. I don't like the lighting. I don't like the seats. I don't like the, I don't, and, and, and because they're, they're just brand new little baby Christians. And they haven't yet matured out of that stage of going, you know what, worship isn't about me. It's about God. They haven't matured into that place of, you know, church is about me serving others, not about me getting my needs met. And so, in this process, it's, 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 it's okay to be an infant when you're an infant, right? It's okay. You know, your Father in heaven has patience with you during that stage, but growth is expected. And speaking to the adolescent and adult stages here in the room in view of new believers, we just need to, to understand and be reminded sometimes that we got to be patient with baby Christians. You know, we can't expect brand new baby Christians to grow overnight. We didn't. Sometimes we could find ourselves expecting a brand new baby Christian to be on day one where we're at on day 1500. And, and that's not realistic. Where you're at on day 1500 is to be, to be an example and to be teaching those that are on day one, but, but we can't expect those that are on day one to be where we are five years later. They need to grow. And so in that, we do need to, as a body and as Christians, we take responsibility for the discipleship of others, of pouring into their lives. You know, it's, it's a whole body duty. It's not just the duty of the pastors. It's, it's for the whole congregation to be pouring into the lives of those that are spiritually younger. Now, before we leave infancy, I want to address one more mark of infancy that sometimes people can fall into, and it's called arrested development. It's where spiritually you never leave infancy. The Bible calls this carnal Christianity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you were still not ready, because you were still worldly. 
than in Hebrews 5. It says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. So what Paul is saying in, in both of those places is he goes, look, the, the people he's addressing, and sometimes there's those of us that are stuck in arrested development, he's going, you ought to be teaching others by now. You ought to be sharing with others. You ought to be you know, working in others' lives to help disciple them and grow them, but, but since you're still acting like a baby, I still have to teach you as one. Arrested spiritual development. That's where you, you just still need the spiritual milk, that, that, that you refuse to grow from those things and say, okay, these are truths and apply them to my life and I'm gonna grow and start learning and, and digging into the deeper things of theology and doctrine and the deeper things of how to live for Jesus. And the way they put it here is, you're not ready for solid food, you still need milk. You know, you can imagine walking into a place and you might see a nurse sitting in a rocking chair and there's a 30-year-old man sitting in his lap cradled up and the nurse is holding a bottle in his mouth. You see that, you'd be like, oh, what, what is going on here? That's strange. That doesn't look right. What are you doing? Oh, well, you know, this guy was born 30 years ago, but, but you know, he just preferred to stay here. He didn't want to graduate into grown-up things. You're going, come on, grow up. And so if you find yourself stuck in a arrested development spiritually, um, it's time to step out. It's time to step out. So the second stage here we see in verse 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. And then in verse 14 he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. So he says they've conquered the evil one twice, but the second time he states it, he adds they are strong because God's word remains in them. You know, this is those that have left the infant stage those that have been walking with the Lord for a little while, those that have grown up a little bit, they're not yet fully spiritually mature adults in that sense, but, but, but they have a strength that, that is characterizing this phrase, phase of their life. They've moved past being a baby where they have to be tended to and taken care of and everything's focused on them and they're starting to see that, no, you know, the world isn't all about me and, and, and maybe I have gifts that are for others and they're starting to grow in these things. And one of the first things we'll notice about spiritual adolescence is the strength. The word there means to be mighty, powerful, having a strength greater than average or inspected or expected. The word implies a zealousness, which implies lots of energy, right? Contextually, the strength that he's talking about here is referring to a spiritual or a moral strength a zeal for holiness, a zeal for doing what God says, right? A zealousness in that. And, and, and really it's the idea of being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now one of the things that characterizes youth often is, is their energy, right? I remember 20 years ago, I was like, man, I had all this energy to do all this stuff. I'm like, where'd it go, right? It's just gone. Now I'm like, eh, you know? It's like, it's like the energy to, to push forward, and it's like, you know, now I've been walking with the Lord a lot longer, and I've, I've learned so much, but there's a zealousness that sometimes can seep out of us the longer we walk with the Lord, right? There's this desire, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover 10 times this month, and, ah, and just this excitement. 
And it's a strength, but it's not just a, a, a physical strength. It's a strength to be like, I want to do what God says, and I want to follow him, and I want to find my gifts. And so you look up spiritual gift tests online, and you're talking to everybody, and you're in 15 Bible studies a week, and you're just like, your Bible's like, you know, just marked up, or if it's on an app, everything's highlighted, and you're just, wow. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, John says, Dear friend, I pray that you are doing well in every way and that you are healthy just as your soul is healthy. You know, imagine for a moment that your physical body reflected the growth of your spiritual life. That your physical body today reflected the strength of your spiritual life. Would it be an encouraging picture? Or would it be a depressing picture? You know? Oh, wow, if my physical body reflected my spiritual life, I'd be carried out of here on a stretcher. Or would it be like, nah, like spiritually, man, I'm yoked, I'm buff, right? I'm doing good, I'm healthy. You know, the secret to spiritual strength scripturally, especially the, the strength that he's talking about that's found here in spiritual adolescence, it says right there, God's word remains in you. It's awesome when a person reaches the point in their, in their spiritual growth where the word of God has become just, just, just freely alive within them, where it's starting to govern everything they do, everything they say, every action they take, right? That's such an amazing thing to see. When someone stops questioning the, the basics of Christianity, right? They've grown, they've grown out of that infancy and they're starting to go, no, I know these things are true and I'm grounded on this. And then they start to explore and experience the wonderful promises of God in, in every area of life. It's, it's an awesome thing to see. You know, an infant, they live by their emotions, their affections, they live this up and down life, but a spiritual adolescent lives according to their understanding of God's word. There's a stability in their life now. There's an even keel, a levelness in their life. Regardless of the circumstances, they have good days and bad days, and they don't question whether God is real on, on every up and down, but they go, no, 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 God's real. God's with me. God's here. I'm good. They've come to a place where, where they have this increased strength, this spiritual strength to stand against the world, to stand up for righteousness, to stand against the evil one. They don't question their salvation every time they stumble. They don't question God's presence every time there's a difficulty. It says, when it says God's word remains in you, it means that, that it has become the go-to resource in your life for direction. You know, it's, it's no longer, you know, some talk show host or, or this YouTube channel or all, or all these other things. It's like, no, the word of God first. It's become your go-to manual for living. It's the manual that governs your responses to things, not your emotions. You're in a phase spiritually where you're not driven by your own needs and wants primarily, but you yield to what God says you need. And you've matured to the point of saying, you know what? I don't know about that, God, but I trust you, and if that's what I need in my life, I receive that. This is the picture of the Christian committed to pursuing obedience, even when it's inconvenient, even when it might hurt. And so the secret to spiritual growth, it's all having the word of God remaining in you, being saturated with it. You know, you wanna be a stronger Christian? You wanna mature in your faith? You wanna resist sin more? Well, fall in love with the word of God. Read it daily, study it, apply it, memorize it. But what's the temptation of adolescence? Pride, right? The temptation of adolescence is pride. An infant, they're uninstructed. 
They don't know anything but, but what affects them personally, right? Spiritually, it's the idea. It's like, oh, I don't know all the theology, but I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. But then you start to learn. You start to grow. You start to develop some, some, some um, um, beliefs on certain things doctrinally. But if an infant doesn't know anything, adolescents are on the opposite side of the spectrum. They know everything, right? That's always the critique of the teenage years, right? Gosh, teenagers think they know everything, right? They think the old people have got it all wrong and we do it wrong and we apply it wrong and we do things, you know, that's out of touch and we're all, and they, and, and, and I'm not gonna say every teenager deals with this. I know I did. Man, I, I knew everything when I was a teenager. My mom can attest to that, you know? There wasn't anybody in the world that knew how to do things right except me. And it took a whole lot of failure to beat that out of my head. It took a whole lot of being wrong to learn, right? And we'll get to that in a moment in the, in the, in the mature stage of things. But the pride that comes from spiritual adolescence often comes from a reality that we start to understand that we've conquered the evil one. You've conquered the evil one. And so, you know, look at me. I got it. I got spirituality on lock. I've got it on lockdown. I know the answers to things. But this can lead to a dependence on self rather than a dependence on the Lord. And so fight the temptation for spiritual pride. It's good to know that you've conquered the evil one, right? It's good to be founded on that. In fact, you know, when it says conquered the evil one, it's a past tense phrase. It's a truth that, you know, I know this happened because God's word says so. I'm not questioning that any- anymore. That's a, that's, a, that's a settled truth in my heart. It's good to have that, but don't let it then say, hey, I've got this spiritual thing figured out and then start depending on yourself because that's when you fall. That's when you fall. So the third stage of spiritual adulthood, verse 13a, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And then in verse 14, he repeats the exact same thing. I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. John repeats it here. It's a poetic thing he's doing. It's a, it's a, it's a, re- a repetition for emphasis, to emphasize this point about those who are spiritually mature. Now, when he says fathers here, he's referring to, you know, spiritual patriarchs. It's not excluding spiritual matriarchs, right? I already said this is a phrase that, that is referring to a group of people. But he's referring to those that, that, that have walked with the Lord for a long time. Right, those that have a lot of experiencing walking with the Lord, which is incidentally those, the ones that are worth seeking out and imitating. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul, for you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. You know, Paul had become a father in the faith worthy of example, not just by telling people what to do, but by living it himself, by having gone through it and gotten this experiential knowledge. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this about this verse, and I think it's just a really good way to say it. He goes, fathers, again, are persons of maturity, men who are not raw and green, not fresh recruits, unaccustomed to march or fight, but they're old legionaries who have used their swords on others, and are they, are they themselves scarred with wounds received in conflict? These men know what they know, for they have fought over the gospel, studied it, considered it, and having so considered it, having embraced it with full intensity of conviction. They are not deceived by the philosophies which allure the ignorant. They know the voice of the shepherd, and a stranger they will not follow. 
Those that have reached this, this stage of spiritual maturity, they've been around. They have a settled character. They, 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 well, John describes it this way. They have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Now that phrase, who is there, it's actually not in the original language. It was kind of added for clarity. And so if you take the who is out, this is how it reads. You have come to know the one from the beginning. The idea here is that you've known him a long time. You've known him from the very beginning of, of, of your own infancy, that moment where you came to know him as your father, where your sins were forgiven. You've walked through the, the stage of spiritual adolescence, and now you have the maturity and the grace and the character that only comes from time and experience. You see, the mark of a mature believer, I believe in what John's getting at here, is that they simply delight in God. Right? He goes, you have come to know, know the one from the beginning. That word know It's that word gnosko. It's that Greek word that refers to personal, intimate, experiential, relational knowledge of somebody. You know, baby Christians, they they delight in their experiences of God, right? When they experience things, it's just so exciting. Oh, God answered prayer, and wow, people prayed for me, and, and it's an exciting thing, and they delight in that. Adolescent Christians, they delight in their understanding of the word of God as they, as they begin to plumb the depths of the word and see how these things apply, and they delight in that. But mature Christians come to the place where they just delight in God. They just delight in God. You know, it's one thing to know the word of God. Something entirely different to know the God of the word, the author behind the page, to know him. Maturity goes past recognition that he's the father. It goes past just knowing what he wants. And it goes all the way to just knowing him. Just being in his presence, knowing his heart, knowing what he wants in his mind and all of that, but just, I just know him. And, and I love him and he loves me. It's this deep experiential knowledge, not just recognition that he's dad, but I know it from the years of experiencing that he's my father in heaven. So I pray that, that each one of us, regardless of where we are in our spiritual maturity, never find ourselves arriving at any type of spiritual plateau. Right? Those, are, those are difficult times. You know, I've read the Bible all the way through once. I know it all. I don't need to read it again. <laughs> You know, no, that we keep growing, you know, in all stages. You know, fully grown spiritual adults in the faith like John are, 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 are part of raising the little children in the faith, right? This is why John uses this phrase. He saw them all as his kids, you know, they're, they're all my kids, you know, and so, so be a part of that. We're all growing, every single one of us. It's a process we're all in, and it's a process called sanctification in the New Testament. We're all going through it. The goal of this process is stated in Ephesians 4.13, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That is the goal of sanctification. Are any of us there yet? Not me. I don't think any of us are there yet. We got a ways to go. But you know what? God is committed to the process. Are you committed to the process? You know, there are no shortcuts. There's no quick path to spiritual maturity. We just gotta go through the process of time. 
And it's a process where we let God take all the good things and all the bad things, all the, all the tragedy, all the triumphs, right? And God takes all of that and he, and he weaves that together to grow us in our faith and our spirituality. And it's a process of just learning to stick close to him, to stay close to him, to remain in him. And when we do that, eventually, as time goes by, by his grace, we'll get there. We'll mature. So live by God's grace. You know, and I don't know about you, but I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in, 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 in my knowledge of God, not just factual intellectual knowledge, but that experiential knowledge of God. I want to grow in that more and more every single day, and I pray you do too. To keep growing, to be more and more like Jesus Christ in who we are and how we live. You know, some of us here today, you're, you're a spiritual infant. You've just recently come to faith. You've recently come to know the Lord. You know, rest on this truth. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're forgiven. You're a part of God's family. Learn to not question every time things go good or bad. Oh, I'm saved, not saved. God loves me, God doesn't love me. Learn to, 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 to experience the, the truth that he loves you no matter what. That he's with you no matter what. He's with you in the good and with the bad. Because he's your father and he loves you. Some of us this morning are spiritual adolescents. You know, the body of Christ needs your help in nurturing the babies. We need your help. The body needs you, and, and they need your strength. They need your zeal. They need your, your zealousness for, for the word of God. And so remain strong in your faith by, by you remaining strong in the word of God and studying it and learning it and following it. But some here in our room, your fathers, your mothers, your patriarchs, matriarchs in the faith, you've been walking with the Lord for a very long time. You are the spiritually mature who have walked with Christ through so many ups and so many downs. You've been with Christ in, in, in great triumphs and the deepest tragedies. And through that experience, you have learned the, the, the depth, the connection, the intimacy that, that, that God wants to have with us. We need you. We need your example. We need your experience. We need your wisdom to teach those that are, that are less spiritually mature than you how to get where you're at. But you're not there yet. So keep growing. Keep walking. Keep seeking. And I pray that all of us would continue to move through these stages of spiritual growth to get to the place where we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we grow into maturity with a stature that is measured by Christ's fullness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We ask that you would bless us this morning, that you would encourage us this morning. God, Lord, I pray for those that are, that are in our room or watching online that are spiritual infants. God, that's not an insult. That's not a critique. Lord, that's something for the rest of us to go, oh, how beautiful and how precious, and to rally around. And if you're a spiritual infant this morning, Lord, um, God, I, I just pray, God, in, in their lives, you would just help them to, to really be grounded and solidified on the fact that they're saved, that they know you, that you're their father. 
Lord, that in time they will come to understand more and more. That in time they will come to understand doctrine and theology and all these things. But Lord, right now that they wouldn't be swayed by false teaching. They would stay plugged in with good teaching. They would stay plugged in in, in places that are faithful to the word of God so they wouldn't be led astray. And that the rest of us here in the body, Lord, would just be, be readily ready to, to, to be a part of nurturing and, 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 and helping to, to raise those that are the spiritual babies, God. Lord, those of us that are in our spiritual adolescence, Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to build, build that zeal for the word of God, to build that, that, that zeal for, for holiness and the pursuit, God, and the energy that you've given them in, youth, in, in their youth, in their adolescence, Lord, to, to, to go after knowing you more and more, God, that you would keep building that and keep encouraging that, God, but we pray against the pride that would creep in with that. We pray against the tendency to think we know it all, and that, Lord, humility would govern. God, I pray for those that are spiritually mature among us, that have walked with you a long time, Lord, that, God, the experience they have with you, the years of learning and growing, Lord, how they've come even past just wanting to know about you and to know things about you, God, but have really come to that tender, loving, intimate, just, just they know you as their dad experientially and relationally, Lord. I pray, God, that you would continue to build on that wonderful relationship that they have with you. And that, God, that relationship, the experience and the wisdom that comes from that, Lord, that you would give them opportunity to pour that back out to the rest of us. That we would keep growing together as the body of Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.